Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. You're not going to believe this. Oh, oh my God. God. Five stars. Five and a half stars. Papa. My dad is my hero. Grandpa, are you ready? I love a good happy ending. Oh boy. Hey, hey, The phony baloney. And a tit for tatter. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. <laughs> This is a very special episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, reflecting on my life and shining brighter with my editor, Renessa, who has stuck by me for 115 episodes, and I'm letting her interview me today. Renessa and Rena, get real. Okay, so I'm going to jump right in. Let's do it. So at the beginning of the series, we did an interview regarding suicide, and you mentioned at that interview that it is a thought that has crossed your mind. And I'd like to delve more into that. When was this and what brought it on? Ooh, that is a deep question. The first time I was a kid, it's hard to recall exactly when it was, but just feeling misunderstood, you know, and that what I was into wasn't okay. So I'm pretty sure it was probably like middle school or maybe even early high school. God, those middle school years are so hard. It's, it's interesting, like a lot of my life, I haven't felt like I fit in and I feel like I'm going through that a little bit now still. And part of me even wanting to do the podcast is to connect with others and kind of figure out how they've navigated that. Do you think part of that reason was because of your culture and your religion versus who you felt like you were on the inside? Definitely. Like I was not proud to be Jewish in Kentucky. I felt like there weren't a lot of Jews in Kentucky and I wasn't excited to be one of them. (laughs) People were constantly asking me like, are you Italian? Are you Hispanic? Are you this? Are you that? And I was just like wanting to be whatever they asked me. I wasn't proud of who I was. It took me a really long time to even admit to wanting to be Jewish. And then once I got involved with the Jewish community, I felt like I was never Jewish enough. Or like that being Jewish was about externals. It wasn't about like your soul connection. But what else is interesting is like, even in these clubhouse rooms that I've been going to, I'm constantly like, if there's a Jewish room, I go to it. If there's a Jewish event, I want to check it out. Like that is what I am. So I like a part of me wants to be understood by those people, but it's like finding your people within your people. You don't speak a lot about your sisters. Can you tell us a little bit about them and today have that hard transition as well? I think that we've all like struggled to kind of find who we are, where we fit. I guess it's kind of a life's journey. When I went to a high school, I ended up going to a youth performing arts school. And then I felt like, oh, okay, like, you know, these people are like me. They all have talents that they're pursuing and I love to sing and like, but there was a time there too, where I didn't get admitted the first time around. So when I auditioned and I didn't get accepted, I was like, oh, they're more talented than me. And I had to re-audition. So even though I got in the second time, I, I was like, I shouldn't sing out. Like these people are better than me. So it was like, I felt like I fit in because they were creative and they were pursuing a talent and like, they were a little weird But then I didn't get in the first time. So then I was like, oh, they're more talented than me. I feel like I've always like, even though I say I don't care what people think, I've I've definitely been a people pleaser and like 
wanted to be accepted. And I'm still that way. I'm like, I'm like, how many likes did I get? And, you know, how many downloads did I get? But like, is that why I'm doing it? I truthfully feel so fulfilled when a guest messages me back and they're like, this is the best interview that I've ever had. Or I really love how this came together. Can you send it to me? I want to send it to like, I want to send it out in my newsletter. Even if it's one person feeling that way, that should be enough. Or even me being proud of what I put into the world should be enough, even without outside validation. Even that my husband's like, hey, Rena, you know, you've worked for other people all week long. You should work on your show this weekend. Just you do what you love. I'm like, oh my God, dude, my husband is like totally cheering me on. That keeps me going. You keep me going. My dad keeps me going. And that should be enough. Are you feeling fulfilled? I will say this goes back to your first question about like, when was I feeling suicidal and, and not being understood? I've even honestly felt that as an adult, like when my freaking dishes are piled up and my house is a mess and my kids are all on devices and, you know, I'm like, what am I doing? How did this become my life? Like, I literally think that, and I'm like, why did God create us just to throw us in a hole? Like I have literally asked myself that. And my dad's like so into legacy and so into having kids and so clear on like, that is legacy to him. I'm like, I don't know if that's legacy to me. (laughs) You know, I was like, I'm glad you're so clear in that. Thank you. But I'm not encouraging what you encouraged. I'm not going to put the pressure on my kids like you put on me because I want them to make their own decisions and then they can't point the blame (laughs) or pass the blame. You know, I just think that there's like a certain type of person that's always going to be on the fence or on the cusp with religious cultural requirements that are never fully culturally invested, but still have one foot out the door without creativity. It's those people that are fighting between culture and creativity their whole lives that are always looking for a place to belong, but you're never actually going to find that because your place is your space. My husband said something similar to me today, actually. That's so interesting that you gather all of that. He was saying like, do you like doing dishes? I'm like, absolutely not. He's like, do you like cleaning houses? I'm like, nope, never have. Even in a one bedroom, I had cleaning help. You know what I mean? He was like, but you get alive by doing the podcast. He was like, so do that and leave the freaking house a mess. You know what I mean? I'm so much happier when I do that. I went to this room on Clubhouse. It was called like whistleblowers and troublemakers in the Hasidic community. I'm not Hasidic, but I am fascinated by people who still want to be connected to that community, but have been ostracized because I have felt ostracized in many different facets of being Jewish and in life. So I want to know who those troublemakers are. Those are my freaking people. I even went into another room that was called grumpy people. I was like, hell yeah, I can be grumpy here. And not judge for that. Being grumpy is okay too. Awesome. The thing is like, people are not one type of person. You're grumpy on days, you're happy on days, you're creative on other days. You're downright nuts on the fourth day. I mean, we're all levels here. Sometimes trying to fit into one mold is what will drive us nuts. Especially looking at religion because, I mean, I'm sorry, but like being conservative is just not for everyone. It just, it can't be black and white. There's a gray area. And I think that's very much where you and I live. Because if you look at our jobs, we create things from nothing. We go to sleep, we have a dream. We create it into something actual. That's not what normal people do. So we also have to be kinder with ourselves in that we are in the gray area and it's okay to be in the gray area and find comfort in that space. 
because trying to find your people or people that are exactly like you, in a large extent, that may never happen. Because where are you going to find an exact Rina? And that's why we were created too, right? So we could bring something colorful and completely unique to the world. And maybe by sharing your story, you find someone else that's also living in the gray and can't get into the black or the white. I tried so hard to get into the freaking black and white. And I still feel upset by it. My 12 year old is getting ready to have a bar mitzvah this year. And since we are not in the school with 800 kids, you know, we left that school. He hasn't gotten invites and that drives me crazy. And only one mother that had a kid that was friends with my kid spoke up. Only one mother. And he was in that school for seven years. That is insane. She was like, what about this kid? He, he switched schools too. He should be invited. And the only reason she said something is because we go to her synagogue and her son is friends with our son. No one else noticed. No one else cared. And supposedly this is a school that's like, leave no one behind and love every Jew. Bullshit. In my experience, religion is not very tolerant at all. I think being Jewish and being Indian are two very similar cultures. And yes, we may not speak fluent Hindi or go to temple like three times a week or whatever, like most people do. That doesn't make us less Hindi. My mom was a very, very modern mom. My mom was like, you don't want to grow your hair and have long hair? Don't have it. Just like cut it short like a pixie, whatever. Do whatever you want. You want to go blonde? Go blonde. If you want to get married, don't get married. She's like, whatever, whatever you want to do, just do it. Whatever makes you happy. I don't know. It's just interesting because culture and religion tries to put you in a box. And if you don't fit what society thinks that might be, it becomes a massive issue. So true. Wow. Your mom is amazing. I want to be more like that. My dad's like that too. He really is. He encouraged me to pursue anything that I was interested in and said that it was okay. And he definitely beats to his own drum. I think we're so lucky to have parents like we do that made a space for us in the world. Imagine how much harder it would be if even they had requirements of us. I unfortunately like feel like I put too much pressure on my kids to try to fit in. It took me a long time to just be like, okay, the school isn't working out for us as a family. Like I really was like, how come you can't behave? How come you can't pray? How come you can't dress like that? How come you can't like fit into that? And I'm like, would I fit into that crap? Would I want, no, I didn't even like dropping them off there. Like even the people in the office annoyed me. You did mention that you dated a non-Jewish boyfriend before you met your husband. It seems to me like from what I know from your story that you were kind of a rebel or the black sheep in your community. (laughs) So what made you finally settle down into a Jewish family and make that decision? Well, what's interesting about my husband is like he didn't really grow up practicing Judaism. So that kind of worked well with he was like Jewish, but he was Jewish by birth, but he hadn't really grown up that way. So that kind of worked out well with where I was at because there were many years where I wasn't practicing. I literally was just obsessed with work and like, you know, my career and myself and being totally self-centered. And so he was spiritual and he was like a seeker. And I kind of like liked that about him. And then he also checked the box of technically being Jewish. And so we were able to like define what we wanted our own house to look like and what Judaism was to us. What's interesting about me dating that and being engaged to somebody who wasn't Jewish, and this is probably going to offend some of my family members, but when I first moved to Chicago out of college and I was dating somebody who wasn't Jewish, they invited me for Passover. And then when I invited him to come with me, they said not to bring him. 
And I was like, well, if he's not coming, I'm not coming. And so for the first time, and I got really offended by it. I was like, I'll make my own Passover saver and I'll do it at home and I'll do my own version of it. And I had no idea what I was doing. And he's so crazy. We went to like a, you know, a kosher style restaurant and ordered like matzo ball soup and printed a, you know, a Passover breakdown off the internet. And I read that I ate my matzo ball soup and Passover was done, you know, and it was makeshift, but it was cool. And it felt better than going somewhere where I wasn't wanted. You have a great relationship with your dad. How much does his opinion affect the decisions you make in your life? Too much. Too much. It's weird because as a kid, we didn't get along like we do now. He had to be the disciplinarian and I drove my mom crazy. So when he came from home from work, you know, he had to discipline me because I bugged her. Yeah, it's definitely evolved, but it's so special now that I literally can call him And there's nothing I can't talk to my dad about. And so I let him break me up with that guy. I think though, if we would have been in a relationship that I really valued and we had like such a good relationship, I don't even know if I would have listened to my dad, but since it was kind of like a volatile relationship and then my dad didn't like him, I was like, oh, I'm going to take my dad's side on this one. But now, and my husband doesn't like me saying this, but I think I had this last baby for him. Like his father had passed away and it was really important that, you know, there was a namesake for, for my grandfather. I feel like partially that was a reason I wanted to have another kid. I mean, I had two miscarriages and, and then a three pound miracle baby. I feel like my dad was in my ear on that. I feel like he influences a lot of the decisions that I make because I love him and he's so strong about what legacy is and what family is. And I feel like in some ways, you know, I'm his oldest daughter. He didn't have a son. So I kind of feel like I take a little bit of that responsibility. You also had asked me a question about my sisters. I think that they have really looked up to me and followed a lot in my ways. I feel like, oh, I'm sorry. I made you guys religious and you, they also have struggled to find their place. And it's funny because I went on a trip to Israel and it really changed my life. And then they went on the same trip. And one of my sisters like became religious, Stephanie, the one that lives in Israel. Now she's Shoshana. She's lived there for over a decade now. She ended up, you know, not finishing college, finishing over there, completely changing her life. She's got now five boys and 11 years, she's completely integrated into this very religious community. And I think that sometimes she's probably like, what did I do? Like, I think she's overwhelmed by life. I think this past kid was like, you know, really made her think about what did I decide? And then Jessica, same thing. It's funny because growing up, we were kind of like competitive with each other. We fought with each other. Now we all got married within two years of each other. We all had kids within a couple of years of each other. All our kids are around the same age. But we're, we're living much different lives in, in a lot of ways. Like the one sister is living in a very religious community. The other sister is living in more of a traditional Jewish community, more of like Israeli community. But they both moved to Israel. I'm the only one left in the States. We're all still, I feel like, figuring it out. And I'm like 41. Jessica's like 35. Stephanie is like 33 or something, something like that. <laughs> and I feel like, yeah, it's strange to me because as a kid, you think people at that age have it figured out, but we're all winging it. Sometimes I think we're all just children pretending to be adults. Oh, for sure. We fake it and we never make it there. <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes <laughs> I look at our lives and I'm like, we're adulting. Yeah, we're doing this. I know, it's weird. Like, what qualifies as adulting? Like, 
living with a significant other, like getting in routines, laundry, like not depending on your parents for bills, right? Like that's adulting. So like for my fiance and I, it was the other day, we went grocery shopping and we found a spatula. You're like, that's adulting. And we were like, oh my God, we need the spatula. And we're like, okay, we're old now. We get excited over spatulas. (laughs) That's cute. Proper utensils are definitely adulting. Down to our cooking schedule. I cook lunch, he cooks dinner. We're just like, okay, we've got this thing on lockdown. We can do this. The only time I cook dinner, like a real meal is like Friday night. I mean, my poor kids are eating cereal and chicken nuggets and like things that are easy to throw in during the week. We're all so crazy. Like I literally have a two-year-old still, he's almost two in my bed. And like he has slept in his Elmo bed once. But it's so hard though, because also he was a preemie. He was a preemie and he's still like, technically, like I think age adjusted or whatever. He's like around 18, 19 months. And he's still like, really like wants to snuggle and wants to nurse. And I'm like, ah, you know, how can you just say no to that? But after, you know, being with him eight hours a day, mommy is definitely (laughs) happy to have her podcasting time at night. It's funny. My husband was like, I'm taking this class. Would it work for me to have like six to eight or eight to 10? I'm like, after being with the baby from like waking hour until you're done at six, I need six to eight at least. Like, let me have a couple hours break. Then you can like go back to your thing. Yeah. What was your relationship like with your mom growing up? Hard, really hard. It's funny. Like I was on this podcast where it was called thank you mama. So you're like supposed to thank your mom for, you know, a lot of the good that she's done. I literally called my dad. I was like, what do I say? I was like, thank you for taking me to dance lessons. Thank you for putting me in modeling lessons. Thank you for schlepping me all over town. Like those are things I could thank her for. And probably my kids could thank me for those things too. Like they like the things that I do for them. But as far as like feeling understood by my mom, I've really struggled with that. We're very different people. Like she's very into like writing thank you notes and doing the right thing and going the speed limit. And she's definitely not a rule breaker. We are completely opposite personalities. And I think that that's been hard for her to like, and she's also like, she could never have a conversation with me like this for hours at a time. Like she's into pleasantries and like surface conversation and we have trouble going deep. And that's why I do that with my dad. And I do that with my grandmother. I feel like my grandmother, my dad's mom has kind of like been that mom that I needed. What was your mom's relationship like with her mom? Also strained. And that's interesting that you asked that. Yeah. So, you know, my mom met my dad at like 16 and she got knocked up with me at 18 and that was an embarrassment. There you go. <laughs> you know, and so I am that baby. And I think that, you know, there's probably some resentment there. Do you want a better relationship with your mom? At one point I did, but I feel like I don't know how to have that. Like, and it probably also has hurt my relationship with my oldest kid. It's really easy to continue that cycle. What I've noticed is that with my mom, she had a very tough relationship with her own mom. And as my grand got older, they started to mend that relationship. But my mom always had a very tough time with us emotionally into dealing with things. And I realized later in life that her love language is different to mine because people tell you they love you in different ways. Not everyone is both the same as you and I and your dad and your grandmother. 
where we can talk about our emotions and lay it on the floor. We can literally go from, hi, I'm fine. How are you? To I'm broken and on the floor right now. And I don't know my name. Like we can say it. Totally. Other people literally cannot vocalize it. Yeah, she can't. My mom can't. Can yours? It took my sister and I retraining her. So if you tell me goodbye, darling, have a lovely time and I'll see you later. I go with the happiest heart. And every single time we left the house after that, she said, goodbye, my darling. I love you. Have a lovely time. I love that. And that meant the world to me because now she understood. It clicked. I can relate to that so much. It's like walking into a room and then your mom turns to you and goes, is that what you're wearing? Yep. It would just be a trigger, right? (laughs) Until you realize, okay, she doesn't actually mean it to piss me off. She actually means it because she thinks I have something maybe a bit better or more acceptable to where I'm going. And that response was not hatred. And it wasn't like being spiteful from her. But my triggered response of anger, I had to change. And by me changing that, it opened the communication lines again. How were you able to change that? My mom got sick when I was just seven. Oh my God, you were such a baby. So I've been growing up with a sick mom for most of my life. So we never had a normal kind of family dynamic. And my sister and I, thank God I have my sister because we kept our sanity together. And we'd actually speak to her and have conversations about these things. Because when my mom was really sick, she said, it's time for her to go. And she said goodbyes to all of us. And she helped us make peace with it. We had to understand from her point that she was so tired. The one solace I have is that in the past 10 years in adulthood, it also gave me an opportunity to see things from her side and to understand where she came from. See, her love language is different. And maybe with your mom, it's preparing a meal for the family that is her love. Totally. A hundred percent. Yes. Like she's, she planned my bat mitzvah. She planned my wedding. She, she did a way better job at that than I'll ever do. She's amazing at that. And And that just wasn't duty. That was love. Right. And I didn't see it as that. And we never do because that's not how you are wired with your upbringing because you had your dad. You don't understand her because your dad was more vocal about things. Cause I just wanted to be talked to and she wasn't able to talk to me. My mom went through cancer and never cried on me. She wanted to keep a straight face. And when I tried to hug her, she pushed me away. I ended up driving her to the, where you, you know, get stretched back out and then get the implants. I forgot what that's even called, but it was so painful to her. Like she ended up passing out one of the times that they put like a shot in there. Never once did she cry to me. Like if I was going through that, I would be a freaking mess. I want her to flip out. Like I want her to be emotional, but that's not her. So this is like the number one key that, that I fixed my relationship with my mom with. Put myself in her shoes. As difficult as it is to understand. Try and think of all the pain and trauma she went through. Even getting pregnant really young. She really wanted to be her mom's favorite. And yeah. she never has been. She was the black sheep. She was the one that got knocked up out of wedlock. Even though she was with my dad for a couple of years, it was still such an embarrassment from the family that she came from. And back then, imagine how much bigger of an embarrassment it was. So she dealt with a lot of ridicule. She had to get a tough shell. Maybe she doesn't know how to get rid of that tough shell. It's crazy too. Her dad is a lot like that. Like he doesn't like to show his pain and he likes to act like everything's fine. And he went through cancer and 
it's just, you know, you don't show emotion on your sleeve type of thing. And her mom just went through cancer and she's like, I feel fine. Chemo's over. Like they, they want to move on. They don't want to be a burden to anyone. That's why it's like, put me in a nursing home and you know what I mean? But my dad's family, like they all took care of their elders and they all are loud and boisterous and emotional. I'm totally like that. <laughs> you only have one mom, right? That relationship is so important and it molds you and it shapes you. Even though you may not realize it, you may think you're not missing anything, but building that relationship and rebuilding that relationship will change you in a million ways you never even knew how. So if you're willing to try, maybe just try and understand her love language and try and speak that with her. Yeah. If she speaks in casseroles and bread, go for it. <laughs> I should write her a thank you note or like, right? hey, what, what holiday is coming up? Purim. She would love if I sent her like a Purim basket. Oh my God. She's all about that kind of stuff. I guarantee you would get a phone call. Oh Yeah. She's still so good though. Like she, she sends me an anniversary card. She sends me a birthday card. Like I, I'm horrible at that stuff. She's so good at it. Her mom's good at it too. I'm like, I'm breaking the mold of like being proper. Well, if you're willing to try, give it a shot. That's really good advice. I love that. Renessa, that's so sweet of you. (laughs) It's amazing. You really know me so well. And I feel like you really understand that relationship too. And I definitely think that my mom and I, have different love languages. My husband and I have different love languages too. You can't have people that have the same love language in a relationship. Your mom and dad are different. You and your husband are different. Couples attract each other that way for a reason. So why would you put in the work with your significant other and not your mom? It's You're, you're giving me a good lesson here. <laughs> Past trauma and stuff comes back to you in diseases. They say that's the number one cause for cancer is trauma in your past. Wow. If you don't let go of things, it will come back to you in cancer. It's like keeping something very toxic locked up inside you, even if you try and forget it. So there. And they say that trauma comes from even when a baby is in the womb, it travels down to the child. That's when it begins. So whatever emotions your mom is feeling while she's carrying you, the baby gets all of it. It's so oh, great. There. I probably got some of that. <laughs> right? Black sheep's here. I mean... <laughs> How were you able to start that conversation with your mom? For me, it's always more understated. So it's my mom and I just, I go and plunk myself down next to her and I put on the TV, start watching some cooking show, make a small talk. And then I ask her about something completely random about her childhood. And once she starts talking about it, she just never wants it to stop. Do you feel like your mom was happy that you were able to connect with her in that way? Very much so. I think it healed her in a lot of ways. That's nice. I would say like, honestly, it will change your life if you just try. I don't think that I've had a conversation like this. I don't even remember the last time I've done that with my mom. Like it's definitely been over a decade. That's way too long. Now you're a mom too. You connect to her in so many different ways. And also you need to switch off your triggers. Elaborate on that. (laughs) Yeah. The way she says something. So her knee-jerk reaction that will immediately make you angry and like cut her off, switch that trigger off because it will disarm her immediately and she'll realize what she's done because she's used to you snapping back at her. (laughs) When you don't, she's going to be like, oh, what what now? What did I do? (laughs) It's weird. Like, I don't even know like what she's thinking when she talks to me. She's probably thinking a lot, but again, she doesn't know how to speak to you. Language, big thing. 
do you, was there like a turning point where you're like, you made a conscious effort. You're like, okay, like whatever triggers me, I am literally just going to like mute myself. It must've been like five years ago. We're talking about getting engaged or whatever. And then she was saying something about my age and how I'm not getting any younger. So my initial reaction to that, because I want to have kids, right? So my initial reaction was to turn around and just snap at her and just be like, we live in a different time. You don't understand me. I live my own life. I turned around and then I looked at her and then I was thinking about what she actually said. I was like, you are actually correct. I was like, it is much harder to have kids after the age of 35. So I was like, yes, you have a good point, actually. And she just looked at me like, you understood what I said? It was coming from a place of love. But she was saying it aggressively because she's used to my reaction. So when I turned around and accepted her advice, and I was like, yeah, you're right. She was like, you know, when I was having kids, that's how she started her conversation with me, by realizing that she could. It dropped her defenses immediately. Even just asking a simple question like, what was it like being pregnant in that time? Maybe a question like that with your mom can't hurt. Something like, do you ever regret having me? If I asked her that, she would literally like want to get right off the phone. But maybe you do it in person. And maybe you start with the story of your own. I would have to. Like having your first kid and how scared you were. Oh my God. Having I don't care first, what moms yeah. say, okay? Yeah, I was like, howling like at the moon. <laughs> literally, like I was in labor for like, I think almost three days. Like I was, and I didn't even really like, you know, with your first one, you don't know what's happening. You're like, is that back pain? Am I in labor? Like I was just having dinner at someone's house and now something came out in the toilet. Like, you know what I mean? You're like, yeah, it's so crazy. And I was having contractions for like, they were so bad. I thought it was like just back pain. It was so crazy. And so I like got back pain medication and then I took the entire bottle and then realized like it wasn't going away. <laughs> and then went into labor. It was so crazy. I was 28. I was in California. I literally was like on the yoga ball trying to do all kinds of crazy moves. I was on the floor, like doing the cat cows. I was like, all right, I think it's time to go. Yeah. It was nuts. I was a total wreck. And actually it's interesting that you brought this up because my mom flew out to California to be there for me. And she wanted to like go out and like check out California. And I'm like, mom, I am nine months pregnant. My feet are completely swollen. She would not go to the synagogue across the street unless I walked her there. And it was so bad. I was like, mom, why don't you fly home? Like, cause I was like a couple days late. You know what I mean? Um, I was like, why don't you fly home and fly back when the baby gets here? Like, I can't entertain you. I just want to lay on the couch all day. And we were like in a small two bedroom apartment, you know what I mean? And so she literally did that. Like she literally flew back to Kentucky and then flew back when the baby came. And from that actually moment on is when our relationship changed because I was like, we couldn't get along at like one of the most life-changing times in my life. Like she couldn't be who I needed her to be. And that really spoke a lot loudly to our relationship. That actually was a turning point. That was a turning point for us when she flew back and could not deal with me nine months pregnant and couldn't be like the support that I needed. I was like, then just go ahead and I'll be fine without you. Do you think that maybe, even though you were 28 and she was much younger during her first pregnancy, that she was feeling all of those emotions again? I never thought about that. I never did. We never talked about that. That's really interesting. Her parents, you know what? They weren't in the hospital for her either. And- that's really interesting that you brought that up because they were not happy that she was having me. 
So it was her trauma that was speaking. And now it was her daughter that was going through a lot. And she didn't know how to be there for you because her mom wasn't there for her. It was her trauma. It wasn't about you. Never thought about that. That is so interesting, right? Totally around the birth and the pregnancy thing. And now four kids later and things have not changed. And it also makes you understand her a little bit more. Because now you realize it wasn't about you. Can you imagine her flashbacks in those moments? No. Of being in labor alone, a disgrace to the family. How terrified she must have been. Yeah, like I was in her wedding. I was in the wedding dress. I was on the honeymoon. I mean, like you were married. You were older. She had none of that. Right. I also chose that. And you know what else is interesting? My sister got knocked up before she got married. It skipped me and, and went to my sister. How did your mom respond to that? Not well. I would imagine not. Yeah. And truthfully, that marriage has been really hard. I think it's also between you and your mom, like you are a very independent person and you've made your career because of the choices that you've made. Now, when she got knocked up at 19, she probably had the choice of having you or not, but not having you would have been worse. Would it have been? I believe that she made a sacrifice to have you. She did. She sacrificed most of her life. And I think every stride that you make, she kind of looks back on her own life. Like, I didn't get to do that. And you built your career before you had a baby, before you got married. It's an opportunity she never had. Because I saw her unhappy and I didn't want that. I was like, I'm going to stand on my own two feet. I'm going to be able to pay my own two bills. I'm not going to be reliant. <laughs> and you know, maybe she's now come to terms with her life in her older age, as she has grandkids and all these things, that she realizes that she made all the right choices, even though it was hard. But dropping the way that she feels through all these years, that's a tough, that's a tough order. You know what else is interesting? So my sister that got pregnant and then got married and now she's got four kids, she moved to Israel because like she wanted more family help. And so she moved to Israel because her husband is Israeli and his fam they moved to where his family is. And my other sister, Stephanie, the one that stayed in Israel, she became religious and she's part of this religious community and she feels family from that community. So all of us have sought out more family support is because we were lacking in that relationship with our mom. I mean, that is the truth. It's a tough pill to swallow. My dad doesn't like to hear that, but there is definite truth in that. They wouldn't have moved across the world to try to fit somewhere else. If they were getting that. Like, how did your dad feel about it when she got pregnant? They were together for two years. They, you know, like he, they were going to get married. And my dad's like, he wanted more kids. Like his parents were all about continuation and being a family and having as many as they could, because, you know, a lot of my grandparents' family were killed in the Holocaust. And so they wanted, they didn't have a big family. Like my dad liked that about my mom, that she came from a big family. He wanted that, but three kids by, I think my mom was like 26 or something. And my mom was completely overwhelmed and done. That was actually almost like a breaking point for my parents. Like my dad wanted more kids and she was like getting her tubes tied. <laughs> really? Yeah. I think that perhaps it's worth an effort to help your mom through her trauma. Cause it sounds like she has a lot of it. And I guarantee there's a lot of things she's never told you. That would be an interesting conversation. Like, hey, mom, are, is there anything you want to tell me that like maybe you've been holding out on me for like the last 15 years? <laughs> yeah, that would never work. She'd be like, Rina, what are you saying? <laughs> what did you find out? Like, what do you know? <laughs> oh my God, right? It's funny because I feel like with some of the guests, like I'm able to like break through, right? And like, there's been some amazing like moments 
it's sometimes so much easier to talk to a stranger than your own family. Like, I feel like when I talk to my mom, I'm so shut down. I don't know how to have those conversations with her at all. Like I've edited 106 episodes of yours now. 106, Rena. You've mentioned your mom three times. I believe it. The only thing you've said about her is how difficult your relationship is. And that is it. Not that she's a wonderful cook or that she's very loving to your grandkids. Nothing. She wants a relationship with my kids and she tries like over the summer, she did take them and try to connect with each one of them. My mom has always been really good at one-on-one, but multiple kids like that wears her out. But again, like she got cancer at 45, you know? I love that you have your strong relationship with your dad, but I think you'll get a lot out of building one with your mom. It's definitely part of my purpose in this world, right? It's it's obviously like a, a connection that I need to, or like a correction that I need to do. I've noticed that in your interviews as well with your guests, when they speak about their moms, you don't connect as well. You don't bounce back to them as well as when they speak about their dads. Right, and I never really ask about their moms. And if they bring it up, you move on to the next question. Wow, that is so crazy. I've noticed it many times. What else have you noticed? <laughs> editor I see everything I'm sure there's parts in there where I shouldn't have had on record (laughs) and what is cocky moon you and your dad keep saying cocky moon what is cocky moon sit here and I'm like trying to google what is cocky moon nothing comes up oh my god that's hysterical it's like a made up it's totally made up like it's just something silly that my dad says my dad says he makes up funny words that's one of them what is this cocky moon they speak of Oh my God, that's awesome. Yeah, there's another one that he says and it sounds something like French, like Chien en Bloom or something. <laughs> and I'm probably messing it up, but yeah, he makes up words, but that's one that's stuck. That's really funny. Your dad's awesome. Oh, thank you. So I love how he's like open-minded and like all of these things. And then in the background, when you guys are doing your reactions and stuff, you're in the same place. And I hear him saying things like, Yes, Rina. Yes, you did decide to, to like go and make a good Jewish family. <laughs> I'm like, you totally forced that. That was forced. sitting here dying. I'm like, that is pure unadulterated dad. <laughs> oh my God. And it's so interesting, like reconnecting with like people that have been part of my past and like wondering, like I could have stayed in so many of those different chapters. And I think that's part of also why I wanted to do this was like have a platform to like reconnect with people that have been in chapters of my life. Like I literally went from like Kentucky to West Virginia, to Indiana, to Chicago, to LA, to San Francisco, now back to Chicago. Oh, and Kentucky in between there again. One marriage and four kids later. Yeah. These are massive changes. Like at what point do you feel like you became a mom? Because I speak to you now and you're like mom through and through. Really? Like, yeah. I don't feel like that. Like the story about your daughter's comforter. Oh my God, I almost died. I was laughing so hard that they sent you home with the ink tag on. I was, I was like, Rhea, you're such a mom right now. Oh my God. And I was like, it's funny. That's the Brandon Voss interview. I did not keep my cool. Like there, I have a hard time with those types of situations. Like even in the drive-thru at Duncan, if I drive through the Duncan window and they've either like left off a hot chocolate or an egg and cheese wrap is cold. I'm like, how hard is it? I mean, Jesus, I'm here like once a week. You guys practically know my order. 
even more so when your kids are involved. Yes, your kids are hungry. They're like, where's my hot chocolate? You're like, where's their hot chocolate? Those are big tests, man. They seem small, but those are big tests. And two, like a conversation with my mom, it's, it's like, I should already know like what's going to trigger me on the phone. Like I literally should write that down. Like I know how the conversation is going to go. She's going to ask me something annoying and I'm going to like be triggered and I need to just put it on mute and then like ask her how her day was. I love seeing your relationship with Celia though. Aw. It's so sweet and kind and innocent. Yeah, she's really good. Like you watch TV together, like you help each other with makeup and it's just the sweetest relationship. Yeah, she's such a good girl which I was actually afraid to have a girl. I really wanted a boy first because, you know, of difficult relationships with my sister and my mom. I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do with a girl? But she's like the girl that I need. She's such a sweet girl. She's a really good girl. And we, we do connect well. You guys have a wonderful relationship. You guys are like twins also. Aww. She's a mini Rena. She's a sweeter Rena. The way she did your intro... The first day without even like rehearsing, I was like, this girl's going to take over your podcast. That's it. That's your legacy right here. Better call daddy. It will be Celia's one day. (laughs) I think so. I think so. And she's so creative. She's a really creative writer. It's funny. Yesterday I was sitting on the couch with Laser and we were making up stories and he's really imaginative too. And he was like, can you make up a story? I was like, can I just tell you a story about my life? That's entertaining you know? And then he's like, all right, I'll make one up first. And then you can make up one and then like, kind of see what I had in mind, you know, (laughs) but that was fun. So my sister says that there are two types of moms, the ones that will like sit down for like 30 minutes to 40 minutes and read their kids a bedtime story until they fall asleep. Then there's the other type of mom. That's like someone else can do it. Like, can we download an app? (laughs) So which one are you? With the first one, I would sing and tell stories for two hours. By kid four, I'm like one song and isn't there an app? That's hilarious. Yeah. Elmo has been introduced much earlier to kid four. I love it. Okay. I know it's the middle of the night by you. So. Whoops. (laughs) It's midnight. (laughs) Oh my God. I want to let you go. I need to do some reactions with my dad. Okay. Thank Thank you. I'm going to send you this crazy video. I don't know what you'll be able to take from it, but it was fun. Now, let's switch it over to Grandpa. She's actually interviewing you. She does a pretty good job, I think. I think she'll like to hear that. She's gotten to know both of us. Maybe we should do a Zoom where you can say hi. Maybe, because I think she does a good job. And you two kind of get along like your sisters. She calls us R-E squared, because she's Renessa and I'm Rena. So it's Renessa and Rena, and the names are, uh, go well together. And uh, you guys really sound really well together, to be honest. You guys uh, were able to have some real talk of not only you, but of her growing up and her life and, and interpretations of, uh, of family guidance and certain issues that she's had to resolve in her own family with her and her sister and her mom. There's quite a correlation there. Isn't that interesting that she was able to patch things up with her mom and break through to her mom and communicate with her? Well, we hope that one day you can improve your relationship and your understanding of your mom. As you know, you've been very critical of what you expected 
of your mom to be able to do for you. And I like the twist because I've said this to you before that sometimes you have to be a little bit understanding and put your feet in her shoes to try to understand more of her life, just like you do with some of your other guests, where you might be able to get a little further connected if you could understand deep down how she feels about certain issues might actually help you resolve some of your issues with your mom. How does she feel? It's a good question. I think a lot of this, she keeps bottleneck inside of her where I'm not 100% sure what I would say is exactly what she would say. You might have to, as in the Wizard of Oz, you might have to figure it out on your own. And there's no place like home. You might have to come to your own realization with her where it's that one-on-one that's required and not where, where you count on your father, as you've mentioned in the show, for direction at times and your footing. But sometimes this is the kind of footing you have to get on your own. What's interesting, too, is people remember stories in their own way and her oh, relationship sure. well, you, with her own you know When I asked her <laughs> grandma about it, it was a completely different uh, story from her. Right. Because the truth of the matter is, is that my interpretation of what occurred might not be exactly what, how your mom remembers it. And certainly Grandma Rose has a different opinion. And certainly Carol has a different opinion. What is the truth? And the truth is, is that even I have found out the hard way that the relationship that I had with my sisters was completely wrong. Okay. And that my perspective of how certain truths had occurred from zero to 60 years are completely wrong with all of them. That their idea of truth is nowhere near what reality is, certainly in my opinion. But the funny part is, is that some people can tell themselves how things really happened and might have a, a, a little twist of truth to it. You know, don't get me wrong. But most of what some people have told me is completely off the wall and not anywhere near reality. Life is too short, as you know, where certain things that we could possibly regret in our lives, oh, wouldn't it be nice to have said this or that to my grandfather or to my grandmother or to my mom or to my dad? And sometimes the opportunity will never be there again. When it comes to my own sisters, they called today to wish my mom a happy Mother's Day. I answered the phone. I said, Linda, what do you want? She says, I'd like to talk to mom. I says, I'll see if she'll come to the phone. She doesn't want to come to the phone. And then she starts rambling on. Well, I'd like to be able to see her uh, or talk to her. Uh, I just hung up. I said, should I want to come to the phone? Bye. There is no communication that I can have with them because they don't call me. Both times that I answered the phone, once was for her birthday and once was for Mother's Day. So it's six months apart. They don't call me. They don't try to make peace with me. And uh, my mom doesn't answer the phone. So this attacking your family with a lawsuit is divisive enough to ruin a relationship for a lifetime. So even you get direction from your father and he's trying to learn and, and increase his wisdom rating as time goes on. And yet there's certain things that I've also explained to you that you can be in a predicament where it's very difficult to forgive or understand what the next move is. We wanted to surround ourselves with positive people, positive relationships, Another interesting twist from your story is, is that doesn't everyone look for a mentor? Doesn't everyone want to look for guidance? Doesn't everyone want to have someone that's confident in direction in life and that knows 
the path to travel, because to figure out a path to travel, a lot of times is very, very hard. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. 